Hey everyone, my name is Matt Phelan. Welcome to the latest episode of Happiness in Humans. I am here with the amazing Shopi uh, Agbalusi. How are you, Shopi? I am doing really well, Matt. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I had my run this morning, so I'm in a great yeah. mood. Yeah, are you, are you, are you, uh, do you just go for a run or are you someone that's got a track every second of it? Are you get out there in the wild or will you, do you just free run and just let, let, let your body enjoy it? It's, it's a mixture. I go for a minimum of like half an hour every, yeah. every single day. And I kind of have a route, a route I tend to do, but it's more around just having that, that time to just think and get some clarity before the day actually starts. So it's a great way just to, let your mind free, think, wonder, have have some fun, get some some chemicals, natural chemicals into your body and your brain yeah. and start the day right. Love it. Love it, Shopee. So we've got you in good shape. We've got you in good mood. Um, yeah, we have. <laughs> so Shopee, um, oh, let's introduce ourselves. I forgot to do that. I always forget to. So I'm Matt. I'm um, co-founder of an uh, uh, employee engagement and happiness platform, Happiness Index. And Shopee, what do, what do you do on a day-to-day? And I'm a founder of a leadership development company called uh, Mindset Shift, which does coaching, public speaking, and a lot of work around creating inclusive cultures, organizations. Thanks, Shopee. And the reason I know about you is because I started watching your videos and um, and hearing some of your like recordings on LinkedIn. And I just found it. I found it so enlightening. And you've just got a really good, a good way of explaining things. Um, so the reason I we hadn't for those listening, Shopee and I didn't know we were recording this until about an hour ago. <laughs> because um, for those that don't know, we were calling it that the report or that report, but but um, and you knew what what I meant straight away. Which, um, <laughs> I was laughing on there. I thought I'd see if you knew. I knew you knew straight away. But it's for those that that don't know what Shopee and I are talking about. It's the Commission on Race and ethnic disparities the they call it the report interestingly um on the website please download it um and and and, and have a read um and make your own opinion up but i wanted to get shopi on because I, I saw him make a comment on linkedin saying it was a a dark day um i think is was was your words in terms yeah. of the report so i thought let's let's get on let's have a bit of chat about it and, and because i feel like we we both watched and I'd recommend anyone to watch the watch the Michael Spicer uh, video on it. And the reason I've invited Shopee on because it feels a bit like this report has just made a lot of people think, what's going on? <laughs> because we see in our data at the Happiness Index that this is still a, a massive serious problem. But you sort of read the headlines on the report and it um, makes it feel like there's not there's not an issue here and there's not problems. So. I thought we put four or five questions together and just have a chat about it, Shopee, if you're up for that. Yeah, let's do this. And um, considering the content that we're about to discuss, I still have to ask the question I ask everyone on my podcast, which is what makes you happy? What makes me happy is seeing people live lives that are not small, live lives that are, that are very purposeful, live lives that are true and authentic to who they are and what they're about utilizing the skills and talents they've been given not based on what society family friends 
any anything anyone has told them which is try to keep them small so that's yeah. what makes me happy the most to see people thrive and live authentic lives and let's a follow-up question to that then Shopee. why do you care why do you care about that like what is it driving you on that i care about that because when we live authentic lives we have a multiplier effect which impacts the rest of the people around us so a great example of that is Right now, the, the work I do is says based on um, creating inclusive cultures and organizations. That's not what I initially started. I was started off in, I was a chartered accountant, but I find a lot of my time I spent wasn't around the numbers, it was around working with people and developing people. And when I developed people, they now went out to do great and amazing things in their lives and impacted their families. Then the knock-on effect of that was they came back into the organization because I had invested in them and they really created, um, they were so productive, and created high-performing teams, and therefore the company generated. So the company's getting the profit, the people are happy, their family and friends are happy, they're learning from them and their experience because they're seeing people step outside their comfort zone, and you see them grow. I saw that happening in my life with my wife doing certain things, my kids doing certain things, and obviously yeah. in the workplace. So that's that multiply effect that you see. And if we all have that same way of looking at life, society gets so much better, we get so much creativity, innovation, growth, and happiness, generally speaking. I feel like if I just deleted the homepage of the Happiness Index and put a put this video of you saying that on there, that we'd get more leads generated. <laughs> <laughs> That's better, you've summed up better than we than we can on our own website while we do. So I love it, so Shopee. Um, but on, on that point there, actually, on, on Shopee, we've both, got, we've both got names that people struggle to pronounce, my surname. And you're said, and we were actually just, I was talking about that LinkedIn function beforehand about how you could, before a meeting, you can check um, how how someone pronounces your surname. And you mentioned um, someone who, a story about who developed that at LinkedIn. I found that that fascinating. Could you share that story with our listeners? Yeah, I've, I've actually forgotten the, the, the guy's name now, I mean, but two years ago, he basically was employed into, into LinkedIn. And he said, people have always struggled to pronounce my name. So he was a black guy based in the US, and he's like, my first task, my first project is to create a function where people can pronounce my name properly. He's like, LinkedIn is the biggest platform out there, especially when it comes to a lot of organizations looking for people to hire. So how is it possible that names are still not a function that we can create? And it took him nine months to get this throughout the system, implemented, existing, trialed internally, and then rolled out externally. And now a lot of people love that function because it stops people mispronouncing their name. It's something that was so simple in a sense, but it took someone's lived experience to step up and be like, I want to stop this, and I have the ability to, to do something yeah. about it, and then they created it. It's such a positive story, isn't it? Because our name is so personal to our identity yeah. and how we see ourselves. And that's just, it's just a, just a level of basic recognition of someone else, isn't it? That you make an attempt to pronounce the way, to pronounce the name, because I, I never mind if people don't, get my name wrong but if it happens like seven times in a row you start thinking this person even give a give a damn so that's just such a great story about for especially uh, i come from a tech company to hear how that's a human side of product development so i love that um so let's let's get let's get into the into the questions and show for what what is the report what is this report 
So the report was basically commissioned on the back of the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests that we had last year, obviously spurred by Judge Floyd's death in the States. And obviously things that are coming out, a lot of people sharing their stories. And last summer was just around Black Lives Matter. And Boris Johnson thought, let's do something about it. But it's interesting, the words that he used were, let's change the narrative so we stop the sense of victimization and discrimination. And therefore, I'm gonna launch the commission on race and ethnic disparities. That's how he started this. So from the start, when you've got the prime minister saying, I wanna change the narrative so we stop the sense of victimization and discrimination, but yet you've got people sharing their lived experiences. You've got a lot of people out from all different races protesting about the racism and discrimination that is being that's created and that's very systematic you're already ignoring people so there was already a very low bar kind of created and set for this for this report yeah but people waited so it was due to come out last year initially it was due to come out i think it was in october last year it was due to come out it got delayed because there wasn't enough time and all different things around COVID. So they pushed it back to, to this year and officially it came out yesterday. There were a couple of things around around this though before it actually came out. The two main people, Tony Sewell, who created the report, has a long-standing history, public statements of either rejecting and minimizing the impact of institutional racism in, in Britain. Uh, Manira, Mirza, who I think is the number 10 policy advisor as part of this, also has a past where she's written about institutional racism and how it's more of a perception than a reality. In fact, when Theresa May was prime minister and when Theresa May created the race disparities order in 2017, um, Manira complained about it. So the two main people who are bringing this, this thing together, who are in this hand-picked committee to create the report to talk about racism and systematic racism within the system, how already have in their minds, based on what they've done in the past, that racism is not a problem, that people are just yeah. mourning and complaining about it. So with that backdrop, so Boris's Johnson statement, this hand-chosen picked committee, you now get a report that basically says there racism is no longer a problem in, the, in in Britain, basically, for ethnic minorities. That's basically what it says in a nutshell. It says yeah. that when people use racism, they use it as a, I don't want the words were, catch-all explanation for disparities and impediments for minority groups. And mm. it also said the UK should be regarded as a model for other white majority countries. I think that was probably where I lost it, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. When I, when I read that bit, I was like, are you are you kidding me? Now the funny thing about it, obviously, Matt, you're you're a very data-driven person. We mm. know the data speaks for itself. The data yeah. speaks for itself in the sense that the race disparity audit that I mentioned um Theresa May brought in 2017, there was data around there around showing that there's inequalities um, in education, health, and employment and treatment by police and courts. There was a Lama report in 2017, which found evidence of bias and discrimination from people from ethnic backgrounds in the justice system. You had the McGregor report, which talked about um, racism in the workplace and found that um, black people and minority backgrounds were disadvantaged and faced low unemployment. You had the Tipson review in 2019, which talked about um, black Caribbean children were, I think it was two times more likely to be excluded than their white British counterparts. 
Last year, you also had the COVID report, which then showed how obviously um, disparities and the way the system is currently set up has led to people from lower income backgrounds or ethnic minorities um, suffering from higher rates of, of deaths in, in COVID. So you've got all yeah. these data sets, as well as so many more out there. You've got data, yeah. data sets from organizations which you, you have, which talk about the systematic racism and, and different things like that. So the evidence is there. You've got years, decades worth of evidence. And yet, this report comes out and says, it basically says that racism does not exist. It basically says that everything that happened from the 2017 reviews, the three different reviews, we've, we've solved racism. We should stop moaning and complaining about this. And for me, it just felt like it was pandering to people who wanted to say like, this is not a problem, this is not an issue. It was pandering to the anti-racist activists, the, the as one of my friends, um, David put it yesterday, it's the All Lives Matter kind of report. That's, that's been what it felt like it was. And that's why it was so frustrating to read. Yeah, and it, the, the thing that I pick out mostly important of, of, of all that really important stuff, Shope, is this the phrase that you use, lived experience. Mm. Because again, I, do, I can only put my data hat on this perspective, but one of the problems with a lot of data sets is they look at how people think, not how people feel, um, which for me is a fundamental difference because that the report when I the bits I've looked at is very um, it's a very rational written rationally but that assumes that human beings are rational beings but we're not we're emotional beings we all are whether we like to think it or not and there is just so much emotional data missing about and, and this is where people talk about if you fix the diversity thing let's let's just take gender as an example if you make it if you make an organization 50 50 um, but then half of those people don't feel like they belong there, then then it's a failure anyway. And mm -hmm. it just, that lived experience, I think, is such a powerful phrase that you use because I think that that's a good way to, to, to get people to understand, for me, what emotional data is because the report is trying to tell people how to feel, essentially, is the way I'm interpreting what you've said which is different to how someone feels, which is their lived experience. So I just find that that point um, a, a really powerful, a really powerful point, because otherwise someone's telling you how to feel. Is that is that how the report feels to you? It's telling you how to feel. I think it's it's trying to. Yeah, um, I think that's that's part of what it's, it's trying to do. I think it's it feels like it is basically saying that the reason why things are not necessarily moving forward, the reason why you might feel that things are not moving forward, the reason why you might feel that there is a disparity and part of that reason is down to your race is because of um, the way things are currently being talked about. And mm -hmm. in reality, it now says in reality, actually our data set says this is not the problem. Our data set says that it's not down to your race, it's down to um, class and different things like that. And it actually goes on, and the reason why I called it All Lives Matter report is and then now goes on to talk about, actually, if you compare to, I think use that 2019 um, data sets in education, for example, it says actually those from African backgrounds, kids from African backgrounds performed better than, than white children. 
And the only ones that went backwards were those who were black Caribbean. That's that's what the base, base of the data said in, in 2019. I was like, fair enough, interesting. So you're basically saying that race doesn't come into it. But actually, even that data set, it does. Because in that, there's there's a cultural <laughs> element involved if you look at if you look at that, that data set, for example. But going even even deeper into what you said, I think it's we like to be as human beings, we like to be listened to. We like our opinions to be heard. We like it's like coming home and you and your partner talks to you about something and you don't listen to her, you're busy watching watch, watching football and TV. She's gonna get frustrated, like I'm just sharing I'm, this has happened to you, me. Sharing you watch with you. Me. Are you, you watching watch like, <laughs> she's gonna get absolutely mad with you? What, did you have a did you have a camera in my house last night? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because something's happened to that person mm. and they've come home and they want to share with the person that they care about, and that person's completely looking somewhere else, and that person doesn't really seem to care, they're just busy focused on what they're doing. And yeah. what this report has basically, and that's basically what it feels like this report's tried to do. Whereas if you take a step back and you listen to the lived experiences of people, you listen to the, I mean, right now, I, one of the things for me is I, I have two scars on my, on, my, on my body. Both of them, one from when I was a um, teenager from NF, NF attacks, one from when I was, I think I was 19. What, what, is, that, what is an NF attack? NF, is, so NF were the National Front who are basically been turned into EDL now. So they were National Front, who are basically a racist organization. So yeah. growing up in, in North London, near where my school was, they were very, very prominent. And we used to have battles, like bear in mind, I'm 12, 13 year olds, we used to have battles with grown men who were National Front, who were racist. And because we were, we were black, they didn't like us. So you have, either we used to have to run away or oh, we're fighting grown, grown skinned men just to get into school in the morning. That's that's what my my lived experience was, and I've and I've scarred from that. At nineteen, um, I was in I was in the club at, at university, and someone I just about met because we're just brand new, brand new to uni. He got attacked um, by and just surrounded by a group again a group of skinheads in the club. The bouncer looked did absolutely nothing. So I got involved. I was like, because they were literally trying to stump on on this guy. And I got involved, pushed them back and, and all that kind of stuff. And I got a scar just across my eye and I, I had to have 24 stitches just over my eye. And it's very, very close to losing, losing my, uh, my eyesight from racist attacks. And that was not that far, far, far ago. I've got so many other lived experiences I can share from yeah. shops to school, to police, to work. Even the name that you talked about, the name one I, is always an interesting one for me is when I was applying for, for roles when I finished university, I was trying to get, I was just applying, applying, applying. I had absolutely nothing. I yeah. spent the same CV, I changed my name on that CV and my phone number on that CV just to see if that was gonna um, give me more success. And it did. Yeah. Same CV, nothing had changed, but yeah. I changed my name. Those are the experiences that people are sharing. And that's my lived experience. Now take that and you expand that out into different data sets. You got the trade yeah. unions talking about the fact that there is systematic um, inequalities and racism within systems that they have seen, they have evidence for that. You have those in the education sector saying, actually, we have also seen this and there's evidence for that. You've got yeah. those in corporate 
saying again, we see this as evident. So you got all the different institutions by themselves in silos, probably apart from the police, who, <laughs> who are not saying much. Well, you got yeah. all the other institutions saying that actually the data from our people, not only from our people, from stuff we've looked into, says that yeah. this is a problem. Racism is a problem, inequalities is a problem. There's a systematic issue here that we need to solve. That data set is clear. But then you now have the government report that says, well, we're going to ignore those individual sectors. We're going to ignore the three other reports that came out just three years ago, one yeah. by the prime minister herself, the, the then prime minister herself, which was actually a longer report. Bear in mind, it only took three or four months to compile, whereas those other reports took a couple of years to compile. Yeah. So we're going to ignore all of that, and we're going to say yeah. there is no problem. We are all good. Nothing, nothing for you to worry about. Forget the fact that you're more than nine times more likely to get stopped and searched by the police. Forget, forget all of that. Forget the fact that racial inequality in education was only talked about by head teachers. I think it was two years ago, as they yeah. shared about microaggressions, things like that. Forget all of that. It's not a problem anymore. Just focus on you being the best you can be, and then everything is sorted. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's a lot for everyone to think about, and it should. So it's it's so useful to hear it in your words, Shopee. Um, so I, I really appreciate you sharing it. And it's the other report that I want to chuck into this mix for another report. Um, is actually on this podcast. If people want to scroll back, which is by Professor Jeremy Dawson. Um, so it's a study from employee engagement in the NHS, um, and it effectively shows right that if you had two hospitals and you went into one hospital with unhappier staff, you have more chance of dying and more chance of being infected. I asked um, Professor Jeremy Dawson what his biggest surprise, I like asking what was the biggest surprise in your report? And he said that they found um, a, a, an association between um, racism and discrimination um, of staff in the NHS um, and association to infection rates and death rates. So this is this is huge in my mind, and it's it's the type of stuff that on your point, Chopi, that's been ignored because people think sometimes like happiness is on one side and is is like one thing that people talk about, and you've got uh, discrimination, racism, and it's like another subject. But but when you think about it, if you just everyone takes themselves out of this for a second, if you were going to work and you're being discriminated against or you're being racially abused at work no shit, you're going to be unhappier. Yeah. <laughs> and because we know that happiness leads to performance at work, you're already impeding someone's performance, which if you work as an, an office clerk, and we don't have office clerks anymore, but if you work in an office, we don't own offices anymore. <laughs> if you work in, in a normal office role, a normal sort of like um, uh, knowledge industry like you did as in the finance industry, you might get the numbers wrong or whatever if you're being discriminated against or so on. If this is happening in a hospital, this is costing people lives. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're actually in a period of time where hospitals are, are front and centre of this, this, this pandemic that we're fighting. So this kind of data is just conveniently not, not included in this because the one, the one thing that I think when I think about this is if you have, a, if you have hospitals where people are being discriminated against and you, and you flip this and you go full circle on it, Discrimination on uh, discrimination of people in the NHS is actually killing white people. When you think about it, it's killing white people, it's killing black people, it's, and so on and so on, because the whole population go into hospitals. So um, 
there's actually a real full loop here that 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 isn't being discussed um so i just yeah there's more reports and more data that just isn't being included so i just wanted to add to that um shopi we've got we've got nine minutes to to cover this really big subject um, and I and I actually sent you some questions that I actually after I wrote them I thought oh that's a rubbish question I don't even believe that question myself but I said to you the questions were what's your personal view on this and what's your professional view on this and even myself I never even think like that I just think what's your view on this so um, I'm going to kind of like merge the questions um, but we've kind of covered that so the, one of the questions I want to is there anything useful in the report. Is it all rubbish, or is there is there any takeaways that you that you think is useful in there? I think the the one useful thing that was in there was around the terminology bane, and it talked about the fact that we should no longer be using the bane, um, which we we already knew, but it was great to actually see that there. And it talked about the fact that actually mm. it's. Uh, catch-all kind of phrase which no one really relates to it's not really really helpful and actually again it, shine, it does not shine a spotlight on the key areas for example a lot of organizations can be like we are a very diverse firm we have 10 percent being staff okay let's break that being number down you might have 10 percent being staff how many of them are black you might have, have 0.1 percent and then and then you've now started to see the disparities going on and, and there's examples like that which are, are prevalent in every single every single industry that's why there's a lot of um information around actually rather than calling people blame it's you got asians you got um people from pakistan bangladesh caribbeans africans you need to understand the different individuals and actually from an organization perspective it actually helps the more you can relate to different cultures, the more you can build a trust with your people, the more you build trust with your people, the more that they are more productive because it shows that you care rather than putting them in a box. Like there were instances where on Fridays meetings were happening and people were like, oh, why is that person missing? Why is that person missing? And it, it became into a problem actually. That person was missing because on Fridays at that time, they went for prayers. But because you're not used to thinking about what's that person's culture, what's that person's background, mm -hmm. and you never built a lot of managers, never built that real relationship to understand their people, it became a problem. But actually, when you understand that, okay, that person goes for prayers on a Friday at this time, I'm going to move the team meeting. Yeah. Because it shows that I care about that person and I want them to be involved and don't want to exclude them. It's okay. A lot of meetings happen in in pubs, for example, and a lot of relationship happens in pubs. That's cool. That's part of society. It's part of the. Um, but actually, is that part of everyone's society? If it's not, yeah. can we do different things rather than just doing that same thing over and over again? Can we go to other places that other restaurants, for example, that they might find, or can we do stuff that's more fun that they might find, which brings the team together? Again, build a relationship. The more leaders and managers and leaders build relationship with their teams the better they get to know them, the more they understand what their key drivers are, because you yeah. need to know key drivers to be able to know, actually, it's not just money. Money doesn't drive a lot of people anymore. In fact, the data shows that next generation especially is more about purpose than money anyway. So yeah. again, the more you understand what drives your people, the more you can focus on those key areas. And that way, by you focusing on those key areas, they are more productive, they are more innovative, they come up with more yeah. ideas, 
your organization wins because they're more productive and therefore you get more profit, but more importantly, they're happier. There's like a whole loop and why it is so important to be able to build that relationship. So that's why so, that whole BAME, BAME term is is so, was well, quite good to see and you can reference it like, okay, now, yep, this is the reason why you should stop using BAME. See people as they actually are, not in a catch-all box. So that for me was probably the only thing on there. A lot of other recommendations were not really useful. Talked about the fact that you shouldn't do a conscious bias training. Yeah, we already knew that, but I found that very interesting because there is a major report in 2017 said you should be not doing a conscious bias training. Boris Johnson already came out last year and said we're not going to do this anymore. And then this report said we're not doing this anymore. So those kind of things were already known. Oh. <laughs> well, we both laugh. I could, no one can see us, but we're both laughing. I'm sure it's more. We're just. It's just. Yeah, just some of this stuff you just have to laugh, don't you? Because it's just so crazy, and you just think. The, the thing I think about the unconscious bias training is that unconscious bias training can be really useful for certain things. Like to be aware of it is useful, mm. but somewhere along the line, it got um, it became the solution for racism, didn't it? Yep. It was like. Right, oh, we've got racism, do unconscious bias. It's like, but for anyone who's the unconscious trait is just really useful for anything in life, is it? Like, the, the thing I took most from the unconscious is the, is the halo effect around how if someone's good at one thing, you can halo affect that into something else. Yeah. And, and you can do that all the time. Um, and, but, and there's so much to it, but that, but for it to be that, it just, yeah, I can see why it's frustrated so many people. Um, just moving into the summary show, P, and I just I wish we had four hours to go through this stuff. But what could, can we take anything from this? Can we learn anything from this? Yes, we we can we can learn. And I think the the learning for me was not what the report intended. The learning for me was we need to listen more to people's lived experience, number one. But we also need to be careful about the, the motives behind certain reports. And I think that's why I kind of started off this, this interview, breaking down how Boris came up with this commission, the people that were involved in it, and the report that's come out of it, which was not, not a surprise overall. Because when you then look at, well, if you look at this in isolation and you, that's the first report you ever read, you'd be like, yep, this is what this is, this is right, this is correct. Then when you look at the previous reports, the, the data set used and the magnitude of data set used in the previous reports of this one, as well as the individual data sets from different um, industries, then you start to recognize that actually the data set used here doesn't marry up to the, the reality of yeah. live experience of people and organizations and previous government reports. Yeah. So you need to be careful about why this was created, what we are using it for. And me personally, I, I didn't I didn't read 245 pages of it. I, I have a life <laughs> because I just I just couldn't I just could not I could not do that to my brain yesterday to be honest. Yeah. I read through it, I flipped through it, but I didn't read through it. Very yeah. like that, to the to the cliff notes from it. However, I've read it enough to know that actually this is not something that I need to focus my time and energy on because it doesn't yeah. move the conversation forward. I'm focusing more around the things that can move the conversation forward, the organizations that want to move the conversation forward, the ones that are listening to their people who want to create happiness 
in their yeah. organizations and part of that is to be there and support their people to create a change and inclusion in within the organizations that's what i'm focused on not a report like this i and i, I do think again that, that powerful point on lived experience that's one thing that i think is that i do think and i blame data people like myself for this there's there's almost this perception that data that, that data is truth and the problem with with positioning data as truth is it blocks out something like the lived experience because at the end of the day something like this all it should do is show how people feel and acknowledge people yeah trying to do this all catch all thing where over 450 pages is actually an impossible thing to try and do in isn't it anyway a report i mean the human beings have made up for we've made up reports ourselves haven't they they're, these are rational things that we've invented um and understanding the lived experience is so much more powerful and i think that's why things like photography and film are so good aren't they because they don't claim to be fact they just be this is a lived report this is yeah. this is how this is how people are living at that time yeah um shopey we're out of time and i know you need to get on um i just want to say thank you for coming on and just sharing in such a ca candid and, and, and human way um i hope people take time to, to listen to read the report and and have their own views on it um but I, i'm going to take away this lived experience thing and and really think about it so on behalf of our listeners shopee thank you so much for for your time thank you very much for having me mate it was an absolute pleasure